And we appreciate you for being with us here on another episode of the Sacramento Kings podcast presented by Hoop Ball and the Hoop Ball Podcast Network in partnership with Be Heard. I'm Danny Barling, along with your host, your esteemed host, Jill Adge. We're joined by Sanjay Singh and Tim Maxwell, the host of the Watching the Tape podcast, uh, also on the Be Heard platform, a fantastic uh, analytical breakdown of the Sacramento Kings and, of course, Tim's sarcasm uh, is always readily available there on the podcast. Uh, it's one of my favorites here on the Be Her podcast platform. So we'll hope that you'll check that out. Search watching the tape or better yet, search Be Heard. Uh, and you'll find all of our Be Heard podcasts, including this one, including watching the tape, including the Deuce and Mo podcast, as well as J Street Vibes, the dope ones and everything else that we have available there on Be Heard. Jill, what's happening? Hey guys, you excited? I, I I imagine this is is this. I know Christmas Eve, depending on when you're listening to this, is right around the corner. Is this kind of like Christmas Eve for Kings fans? Always. Well, I think even more so because even though like we know what expectations are or have a pretty good idea, we're still always going in, or at least the last fourteen years. Is this going to be the year that, <laughs> that we end the drought? Um, expectations are playoffs and championships <laughs> expectations are playoffs and championships right tim uh championship for the lottery is that yeah, what see, there it is championship. see there okay. I am. there's the sarcasm so so here it is so here's what we'll do we'll we'll, we'll the, today is really the last day you could be truly excited because god knows what's going to happen when when the kings and the nuggets play and Tim sure. is going to crap all over our excitement because he's he's the realist. He just kind of sits around and reads everybody's tweets. And he's like, dude, calm down. Or he's also like, dude, you really don't want that because next year's draft is loaded. But let's bring in uh, Tim Maxwell and Sanjay Singh. And you just heard Tim uh, throw out a little sarcasm there as we joke about the playoffs and, and, and the championships. But but realistically, Sanjay, let's let's start with you. If you could pick one thing that you really want to see this King season and, and let's put, you know, wins and losses and, and Cade Cunningham aside, let's put all of that aside. And let's just look at like one thing that you really want to see this season from the Sacramento Kings. What is it? Marvin Bagley being a positive contributor for the Sacramento Kings rosters, because last year was obviously massively disappointing for not only for him, but for Kings fans, because we didn't, we didn't get the opportunity to see him shine coming off uh, a 14-7 year as a rookie, which was not, you know, accomplished by many other rookies in the past. And for the Kings, they they really blew it by not picking Luka. We can revisit that every single time we want to. But for Marvin Bagley, this is this is his biggest year. Who knows what how the patience wears down on him if he doesn't improve this year going into next year. But for for me, I know Halliburton is looking really good. I'm not too worried about him. He is looking like he knows and understands the nuances of the game pretty early on as a rookie. But for Bagley, I think both ends of the floor, he really needs to show that he is the big man cornerstone for this team. Tim, something you're really looking forward to this year. Uh, one thing I'm looking forward to is definitely Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Sanjesh and I are both super high on him. A lot of Kings fans are super high on Halliburton. We all thought he would go to probably top five, top seven in the draft. He fell to 12, kind of wanted to go to 12 with the Kings. So it's exciting even to have a player that, that – really wants to be here, really wants to work with De'Aaron Fox and 
Um, I think they make a beautiful backcourt pairing. You know, Tyrese plays defense. He shoots threes. De'Aaron Fox pushes the pace and sets up his teammates. And Tyrese acts as that secondary initiator. So um, I think for Kings fans that have been looking for that partner for De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan wasn't it, but he's probably not the long-term partner either, depending on what happens with his deal in Sacramento. So I'm just excited to watch the future of the Kings, uh, Fox, Halliburton, and Bagley operate um, hopefully eventually in the starting lineup together and, and start to dominate some teams. Can I point out how weird it is that we talk about a player like Buddy Heald, Jill, who's under contract for like the next four years. Like we have no idea if Buddy's going to be a part of the Kings future or not. Dude, the Kings just signed him to an extension and we're all, I mean, we were ready to ship him out and correct me if I'm wrong. The extension year one of the extension, right? The year the, the extension <laughs> kicks in this year. We were ready to kick him out of Sacramento before uh, the extension even kicked in. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I like buddy this year. I'm, I'm kind of buying into this buddy working out, buddy being bigger, buddy being staying in front of his, his, his man on defense. Like I I'm kind of buying into this. Like, I don't think that it's going to translate to, you know, what is his nickname? Buddy Buckets. I don't think it's going to translate into Buddy Lockdown, but I'm all for Buddy Heald exhibiting a little bit of defensive effort. And who knows? It could it, it could turn into something. I like the idea of of, of Buddy being a, a, a part of the Kings future, at least, you know, maybe for another year or two, maybe for the next four years. Like, I don't really know. I'm not ready to boot him out of town yet, though. Right. Well, and I liked how they've used him in preseason so far. I know it's just been a couple games, but he looks like the buddy that we want him to be. And I do like that he seems to have a chip on his shoulder that, oh, everybody just thinks I'm, you know, a statue on defense. No, I'm actually going to go out there and I'm going to prove him wrong. Whether he does it or not, I don't know. But he's looked a lot better in the, you know, the three, four games that we saw so far compared to how he was used in, in last year's system. So um, I have no issue with Buddy being here long-term, short-term, as long as it works out and whatever the plan happens to be that the plan is. <laughs> Tim, you're a little more cynical than we are. Like, what do you think about Buddy and his effort and, and his acknowledged effort in, in, in press conferences or his meetings with the media to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be better defensively? Yeah, I, I believe him. I mean, like, I think Buddy wants to be a guy, you know, like he wants to be one of the stars of a team and he's going to do that through defense. And like Jill said, like preseason, he looked he looked like 2018, 2019 Buddy healed, not 2020, whatever I just said, 2019, 2020. <laughs> um, I got my ears confused. So he looked like it's the easy buddy to do. It's yeah, easy it's, to do. It's it's, it's, it's been the longest nine months ever. It's fine. Yeah, we just real. had a whole year go by without anything. So yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, Tim. Christmas is in like two days. Like it's fine. Yeah, no, you don't um, worry about it. <laughs> hey, all my Christmas presents are up. So I'm, it was I'm ahead just of the March. Game. Now it's December. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, buddy, he looked good in preseason and I don't have like, I think people sometimes mistake my stance on Buddy, at least, as I don't like Buddy Heald. I don't think he's good. I think Buddy Heald is a fantastic player. I think Buddy Heald is ready to win now. I don't know if the Kings are ready to win now. And I think that's where you maybe have two diverging roads is if the Kings are looking to reset and get younger and cheaper, you don't have to deal with Buddy, you know, tomorrow. But I don't know if Monty McNair looks at that contract as, okay, that's going to prohibit me from, you know, he used the term financial flexibility a lot in his press conferences. Um, on the flip side of Buddy, you know, can age well and can keep knocking down threes. There's there's not any urgency to move him either by any means. 
Sure. And, and Sanjus, I'm going to throw something at you here. Uh, and I'm blaming this on Richard Ivanowski. Uh, damn Richard Ivanowski, King's Herald. Same, like, so, you know, we have him on the radio, and I, I, I had this idea in my head. It's like, because you, you know on radio, you have to come up with this hot take that you can just go back and look at later and be like, God, I was stupid. But then Richard validated it. And I thought, I'm running with this. I'm going to say this on the radio. And Sanjus, you're, you're, you're a level-headed, analytical guy. Buddy Healed, all-star. Tell me about it. Like, can Buddy Heald potentially be an all-star with the – because I think it's safe to say Buddy Heald's going to start this year. And Buddy Heald's probably going to have – Buddy Heald's going to have the – if nothing else, Buddy, has, Buddy Heald's going to have the ability to score a lot of points. That's something I said on the radio today. I know Richard Ivanowski wrote about it. He talked about it on the King's Pulse podcast recently. And I think yeah, there's some validity there. Obviously, it's an extreme long shot given that – especially what Tim said. Like, the King's – probably aren't going to be very good. They're going to be going through a lot of growing pains. They're going to be trying to figure out a lot of different things. And we're all trying to figure out what Monty McNair's strategy is. But what do you think Buddy Heald looks like potentially for the first half of this season? Well, two years ago, there was a good debate you could make of him being, you know, a fringe NBA all-star candidate when he barely missed out. And there was like the discourse between him and Clay Thompson potentially getting one of those last all-star spots. That was there. And that was because Buddy Heald was being used in the way that Buddy Heald should be used under Dave Yeager. And that was just running and gunning once once the ball is rebounded, just pushing up the four with De'Aaron Fox or another uh, another passer just setting up Buddy Heald for a transition look, which is what we've seen quite often in the preseason so far, as well as in the new five outsets that Luke Walton has been implementing, which has given Buddy Heald lots of easy, clean looks that he wasn't really getting last year because he was used more as an initiator himself rather than, you know, using plays or benefiting off of De'Aaron Fox's creativity and the creativity of others around him, like Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's no longer here. But for Buddy Heald, I think this is a good year for him to show that he could be an all-star candidate, but also you have to consider who else he is going to be competing for that spot with. Darren Fox is going to be somebody who's going to com- be competing for that spot with. You look around the other um, teams in the Western Conference, you know, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, they're going to be there. Um, uh, what's his name on the Denver Nuggets? Jamal Murray just absolutely tore it up in the bubble. He's going to be a name to watch. Derek White. On paper, his box score numbers are not so good, and he just got a contract extension. But in the bubble, he averaged like 23 points, six rebounds, five assists a game, something like that. He shot 39% from three on eight attempts a game. Those are all-star type of numbers. If that continues for Derek White, he's going to be another name to watch there. So for Buddy Hill to be able to become an all-star, there's going to have to be a lot to bounce in his favor. He's going to have to shoot like 43% from three, as he did two seasons ago. He's going to have to show that defensive effort and obviously inflate his box score numbers a little bit but he also you have to remember he does play i know so it's going to be a little media as well mm. jill back me up here buddy the all-star you, you in on this okay how about this I was, li- I was literally gonna say if you remember in back when jaeger was here and those spots were available i mean you had everyone fighting online of Who's going to be better, Buddy Heald or Devin Booker as well? Like, who's the better shooter? I mean, there yeah. were crazy debates that year. Um, mm. So I just don't see it happening unless he moves east. And even then, I could see it being um, a battle. But I have, even if he puts up the, the 18, 19 numbers and even better, 
with the amount of stars in the West, I, without the Kings winning, I have a hard time believing he'd be there for anything other than a skills challenge, like the three point, you know, et cetera. Um, and, and, and we see that most of these guys that are making the all-star team, you're on a winning team. They're not, they're not really voting for people on bad teams. That's just how it works. <laughs> so, um, so, Let's try this. Let's try. And Tim, I'll throw this one at you. If the Kings win the games. Kings were winning when they were talked about, right? Sorry. So, I mean, they, they were at 500 at that point or close to it that they were being talked about the up and coming team. Hence, the young guys were being being hyped up. Unless that happens again, I have a hard time seeing it. But OK, so let's let's stick with that. Let's stick and let's go. You know, there's only a schedule out until March. And, and God knows what we're actually going to see. This season, we know there's 72 games scheduled. We know we're scheduled up until March. Who knows how much of that is going to change between now and when the first part of the schedule runs out. But Tim, I'll throw this at you. If the Sacramento Kings were to win games and let's say uh, an above, let's say 60% of their games, 60 plus percent of the games, Sacramento Kings win 60% of their games. It's because what? De'Aaron Fox takes a step into all-star status. I think that's the key for the Kings. Um, Buddy Heald obviously is going to have to play his tail off. Marvin Bagley is going to have to come in, like Sanjay said, and, and be an impact player. You know, all, all the things are going to, all the things that could happen, like none of this is unrealistic, right? Like um, Deeran Fox could be an all-star this year. Buddy Heald could return and improve upon his 2018, 2019 self. Marvin Bagley could step in and average 17 and 11. Like these are all possible things. Tyrese Halliburton could be in the running for rookie of the year. Um, you just have to have all of them happen. And if all of those things happen, and if Luke Walton can utilize his players correctly, as he's pretty much done in preseason, that's the path towards that goal of, you know, winning 60% of your games. The Kings would probably also need to make a trade or two to uh, to improve the, like, overall talent level of the roster as well. Um, it's, it's possible. And just real quick to bring it back to the Buddy Heald discussion, I think probably a better goal for Buddy Heald this year for, from a Kings fan perspective is not all-star because the West is so deep and the East is so weak, but maybe like top 10, 12 at his position. If you can say, oh, he might've been an all-star in the East this year, I think that's a really good barometer for his play, how he's doing and how he's impacting the game. But for the Kings to win 60%, you've got to hit literally like every possibility of every player kind of hitting their ceiling this year. And we don't know what that that feels like <laughs> we don't know what unless we're like. talking like you know 99 through <laughs> so yeah so let's try this like Sanjus, i for me the the biggest i don't know x factor i kind of a played out term so sorry to use such a played out sports term but the the biggest x factor for the kings really boils down to and you could talk about you know tim just said De'Aaron playing at at all-star level, we could, we could talk about buddy being, you know, top 10, top 12 at his position. But what about Marvin Bagley? For me, I just want to see Marvin Bagley healthy. If we get a healthy Marvin Bagley, what do you think we wind up seeing from him? Oh, there's a lot of ways it could go for a healthy Marvin Bagley. Like one of the things I kind of want to round about and piggyback on for the buddy heel discussion is that buddy heels best ability is his availability. He is, he rarely misses games for Marvin Bagley. He needs to learn how to do that and stay on the court for, you know, a good portion of his games to at least 60 in a 72 game season. That would be, that would be a good start. And who knows how good he plays in, let's say like per 36 minutes, if he, his, if his body can hold up to do so, 
Um, we haven't, he's been on the minutes restriction for the two games in the preseason he's played. So we really haven't been able to see him too much out there and too much with De'Aaron Fox is one of the things we, Tim and I talked about in a recent episode is that, you know, Marvin Bagley is going to have a lot of things to improve on both ends of the floor. And one of those things for Bagley to take that jump and really be that X factor is how well does he pair with De'Aaron Fox? Because we don't really see a one-two game between Fox and Bagley as much as we would like to, especially like on dribble handoffs or pick and rolls. It's just something that hasn't been incorporated too much. And you can't look at it too deeply because Bagley also hasn't been healthy of that much. But if Bagley is healthy and if he is going to be the X factor, I think him and De'Aaron Fox are going to have to be, you know, they're going to have to become a much bigger one to impact like other, you know, um, other pairings on other teams. Yeah. And, and Walton did say the other day, which was nice to hear is he kind of referenced that where he hasn't got to see that as much. And that's one of the things he wants to focus on. Um, you know, health permitted, like as long as you're able to do it. That's one of the things he said he was, you know, the goals at least of the season was to, to get a lot more of that duo or at least him with the smaller, the smaller lineup to see how that goes. So. Which was nice to hear. I like Hassan Whiteside 15 to 20 minutes a game. And I feel like saying that Tim is going to crap all over it. But Hassan Whiteside, 15 to 20 minutes a game. I feel like he could be, I think, I think it was Richard Ivanowski on the on, on D'Lo and KC a couple of weeks ago. Jill, have I ever mentioned I host a radio show, D'Lo and KC on ESPN 1320? I do. Yeah, okay, good. It's, a, it's on ESPN 1320, 12 to 2. You can listen on the radio.com app uh, live no matter where in the world you may be. Uh, but I think we coined the term the, the twilight zone. Where if you play too many minutes, you could get a you could probably lose Hassan Whiteside. But there's kind of a plus minus category there where if you keep him within a certain minute frame, and I think if we look at what he did during the handful of games that he played during the preseason, like he was really good and he's had a you know tremendous double double output. He was really good in his time with Portland. He was great in his time with Miami on a on a on a league minimum deal. Tim, this could be a nice acquisition, 15 to, what's the cutoff, 20 minutes for Hassan Whiteside this year? Yeah, I don't hate the contract. Um, I I think a lo- there was a lot of consternation. You know, King's Twitter is like a whole nother beast unto itself, right? And there was a lot of consternation when the interest was shared about Hassan Whiteside because I think a lot of people feared Kings are going to give him the full M- MLE, three years, 27 million. You know, this is going to be another King's blunder because we're so used to those. But Hassan Whiteside on a minimum deal is, is a good signing. Like, I'm I'm cool with that. I really like that they haven't started him. You know, it was it would be very easy to say, hey, he averaged, what was it, 15, 13, and 3 last year. Yeah. Rashawn's numbers aren't the same, so let's, let's insert Hassan in the starting lineup. And the Kings haven't done that thus far, and I think that's the smart move. I mean, he's top five. I mean, he led the league in blocks last year. He was top five in rebounds, top five in rim protection numbers, the more advanced numbers. Um, so yeah, bringing him off the bench, 15 minutes a game, I'm I'm cool with it. I think the one thing you got to watch with Whiteside and Sanjesh and I talked about this in a recent episode. I think his he only plays drop coverage, and so when there's a screen, he drops he drops to the key to you know defend the rim. And like against Steph Curry and the Warriors, he got <laughs> blown up. But that's yeah. also like it's it's Steph Curry and the Warriors, so I don't know how much you want to panic about that. But I mean, he's better than Alex Len. If I can get half of the people listening to this episode to hate me as soon as I jump off almost, he's better than Harry Giles. You know, he's just like, he's not as good of a prospect as Harry Giles, right? Like Harry Giles is more interesting to a young developing team, but he's going to have a a much better impact than either of those guys. 
and he's, he's probably the best backup the best backup center the Kings have had in a, in quite a while. So I'm 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 totally happy with the contract. So uh, I foiled I foiled I foiled your plans there. I'm, I'm cool you you it. did Sanjus anything on Hassan Whiteside? Yeah, I'm on the same boat as Tim. To get his value on a league minimum deal is a really solid move by Monty McNair and the front office. And that's what you kind of saw with their front or with their free agent approach is that they went after these veterans that weren't really coveted as much by other teams, but could still bring solid value to a young Kings team and provide depth in a league where depth and a season where depth could be really crucial. So Hassan Whiteside, not only Hassan Whiteside, but um, Frank Kaminsky, who's no longer with the Kings, uh, him and then... Glenn Robinson III, all three represented just, you know, nice signings on the minimum that can come in and bring an impact. And for Hassan Whiteside, he's going to bring, you know, that he's going to bring ring protection for the Kings. And the Kings have just not had that level of ring protection in like ever. We've just been too used to seeing Willie Colley Stein just not go after blocks that you get. So like you get really energized when you watch Hassan Whiteside re- like recover and block somebody big time that you didn't see Willie Colley-Stein do it because Willie Colley-Stein or Harry Giles even for that matter would just watch it go in instead of trying to contest it. And, you know, drop coverage is going to be an issue because as we saw with Steph Curry, Steph Curry and in the pick and roll game, they picked on Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton didn't get any help from his big man on that switch either, but on those switches, I should say. But Hassan Whiteside on a league minimum deal, you can't really go very wrong with that because he's going to, he's going to, bring, the, he's going to bring the stats and he's also... Um, reported to be, you know, a very good influence on the youngsters, which I can't, you know, hit on that either. It's good for them. Well, and it's nice to see a guy like even on a minimum deal, like he knows what he is and he's not going to go out there and try and do what he thinks he should be. Right. Like, which has always been a lot of our problems um, when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it's nice to see a guy. I mean, he's literally, he's out there to get rebounds and block shots. Like that's, that's his job out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, for, for a league minimum, it's, that should be the least of, of, of people's worries at this point. You know, let, let's, let's start, uh, Jill, I want to start with you cause you're our front office expert. Uh, and then we'll go to Tim Sanjis and, and let's Monty McNair, we, we Glenn Robinson, um, Frank Kaminsky, who's come and gone and then Hassan Whiteside. What do these signings tell you? And I haven't had a chance to listen. I know that uh, Monty McNair was on the the Woj pod, and I I haven't had a chance to dive into that. But but Joe, like, what do those signings tell you about potentially? And you can factor in the draft picks of this as well. What do those signings tell you about what Monty McNair's direction well, may be with the Sacramento Kings? And I'll say I was able to listen to <clears throat> to the podcast, and they obviously you didn't listen the, to it between twelve yeah. and two. I just want to point that out. But go ahead. Um, they reference the um, the bogey, you know, situation, and he and Woj was asking him, you know, were you worried about what people were going to say because that's here's one of your first biggest moves as you come in now, and you're going to let a guy walk for nothing. Like you know, you're going to get killed. You know, you're going to get at least by fans and you know some pundits out there. Like you're you're going to get um, knocked. Like how how did you handle that? And he was saying that it was probably one of his most stressful decisions, but he also said it was fun. And, and I know some people got, people were mad that he used the word fun, but I don't take it in the sense of like, Oh, fun. We lost a player. It's like, this is this guy. He loves what he's doing. Um, He was talking about how it's, 
you know, it's, he's just in the mix on the job. They have their whiteboards, they're on zoom calls because they all can't obviously be together. Um, and he said, scouts, you know, are, are all around. And, um, they were talking to multiple teams with different deals, things like that. And it fell through, but he said that, yes, you can, you can knock me for this, but as one thing I, he said, one thing I learned in Houston was if you have a plan, you're going to implement these, these things and you might not be able to see it now, or it might not necessarily be the move that we want now, but the moves that he envisions happening after this, that you should be able to see a path or that it'll all be worth it in the end type thing. And so to me, a lot of these minimum, um, minimum high value deals they don't, they don't lock you in right for long-term. It allows him to keep his, you know, keyword of flexibility um, as much as people don't like hearing that word. But I also think that you see some versatility and in, in guys that can play, you know, multiple positions, um, you know, they're, they're high for the most part, they're high character on the court, you know, they're um, they fit around Fox's style, which is, which is what we like to see. Um, they are good two-way players and most of the wings, or at least they can shoot the three ball, which is again, nice to see. You want to be able to stretch when Fox is playing out there. Um, but yeah, we saw youth and then minimum, you know, a little bit older, older guy deals that in previous years we saw, you know, people being paid like to mention the, um, the MLE or, you know, or yes, they were getting, you know, three years, but two were guaranteed, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. um, but that's where we're here now in this year where we have, you know, what only six guys on going into the roster next year, because we have a bunch of those falling off. Um, but again, and again, you saw him let go of, you know, a couple of these guys and they're now at 16. So they've kept a two way open so that that, that allows them to, because I think that's going to be really valuable this season as well. Now that you can have two ways with you for the whole season, for people that don't know that normally you can only spend so many days with the team. So that's why, you know, guys are going back and forth. They can't it's play in every game. Yet. Right. It's, right. It's not so much a game restriction. It's how many days you can be with the team. Well, now for this year, because of how it is, and obviously you have your G League bubble, however that's going on and you're not going to be sending guys back and forth. You're allowed to keep your two ways with you all season and they can play a certain amount of games this year, not just be with the team for so many days. I think it's 50 games that that they're allowed to play. And then, but they're actually allowed to be there with your team and, and, and go through everything together. So to me, I'm interested to see how he's going to use that spot because I think that can be just as valuable as anything else in a season where you're most likely going to need all 17 players. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, can it still go to Metu or no? It still can. I mean, oh, okay. it still can. We just haven't heard what they're going to do with it. it. And then a couple of days ago, I, I swear in, in the videos that were going around, I saw him in the background. Um, and then he was, you know, let go the next day. Not that that necessarily means anything, but it seemed like he was at least still around. Yeah. So but there are, you know, I think at least five other teams that still have space open as well. So I wouldn't be shocked if if he's waiting to to see um, 
if anything else is out there or if they genuinely are interested in someone else because that's how they got Jeffries last year was he was the last cut for Orlando um, and we were able to grab him with that second one. So, um, Tim, yeah, son, just I mean, same kind of question. Like, what, what do you think? What, what did these moves tell you about what Monty McNair's look might be for the future? Um, so regarding me too, real quick, the question about can he come back to the two-way, he has to clear waivers first, which I think should happen today maybe. I'm not sure what the timing on that is, but he has to clear Well, waivers. I think he was official. I don't think he was officially waived until today. So I don't know what the okay. time frame is. I'm assuming it's 24 to 48 hours. I think it's 48 or something okay. too. I don't remember. But yeah, once he clears that, they can sign him the two-way. Um, as far as McNair's offseason goes, you know, I, I, I try to think about it like this. And maybe this is a little bit optimistic, which is a shocking word to use for me. Uh, <laughs> but if we had walked away this offseason with Tyrese Halliburton, Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, Ursa Nalisova, and Robert Woodard, and, you know, the guys, you know, the second round picks and the signings, we would all be going like, holy crap. Like, you know, compared to our last two GMs, McNair is like hitting it out of the park. And through no fault of his own, the Bucks or Bogdanovich or somebody blew up the Bogdanovich deal. McNair lost all leverage. Like, yeah. there was nothing he could do. He could match the Hawks or lose him. And, you know, people disagree with the decision. And I think that's a legitimate thing to disagree with the decision. It's a tough call. The Kings already have two highly paid veteran players on the roster. And if Monty McNair is looking for financial flexibility, do you add a third highly paid, you know, 20-ish million dollar contract that you may have to move down the line? Um, so for me, I'm a, I'm, I, I thought we should let Bogey walk. So I agreed with that decision. Obviously, I was thrilled with the Halliburton pick, um, which there's a lot of luck involved there too. It's not like we you know, did something amazing, but we made the right choice, unlike, again, some of our past GMs. Um, so for me, I need to see this season play out before I can say, man, Monty McNair is doing a wonderful job or Monty McNair is doing a terrible job or he's doing an okay job. If the Kings are looking to win this year, which I – parentheses I don't think they are but if they are looking to win I think they did poorly because they they got worse right like Bogdanovich leaving adding Halliburton Robinson that's just that just doesn't make up for Bogey's production and they didn't spend their MLE they didn't go ahead question does Bagley like you talk about Bogey's absence and I but but Bagley wasn't around last year does that make up for Bogey being gone but you could have Bagley and Bogey right so, yeah, I mean, the production can get made up. And, and again, there, there could be other plans that we don't know about. There could have been other trades that fell through. Obviously, you know, 99% of trades that are discussed never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm going, if the Kings are trying to win, I'm not really sure what the plan is because you could have kept bogey at a decent rate. You could have used your MLE to sign a good player, and then you're in a much better position. And that's why I've kind of become convinced that um, winning isn't necessarily the priority this year. And if that's the case, if you're looking at like the Kings aren't tanking, like they didn't trade Fox, they didn't trade Bagley, they didn't, you know, totally throw away all their veterans. They signed some veterans, but if they're just kind of looking to reset, um, if they don't do anything this year, they have $40 million in expiring contracts. They're going to have over $20 million in cap space next summer. If they move one of Buddy or Barnes, they're looking at $40 million in cap space. So I, I think right now, Monty McNair is setting himself up for a move whether that's trading for, you know, you know, you see James Harden become available, not that we're going to trade for James Harden, but does a star come along that you can use that flexibility and those assets for, or do you just continue to build around the core of, of Bagley, Fox and, and Halliburton? But I, I think right now I need to wait and see with McNair. I like what he's done. And if he continues along the path, he seems to be pursuing, I'll be extremely satisfied with his performance. Sanjish, yeah, you're, 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 he, he acknowledged today too, like you were talking about a star is that, 
you know, when Woj asked him about free agency and and how hard it's been historically for Sacramento to to get free agents, um, you know, he he acknowledged obviously that the draft is important and but players follow winning. And he said, like, until they either one of our players turns into that star or they have the flexibility, like he mentioned, they're having all their first round picks um, and a plethora of seconds. Um, but, and he, he seemed to very much realize like, unless he's able to trade for a star or build these guys up that it's good. It's, it's not going to essentially be, um, that phrase and de- destination. And, and then he referenced the different moves that they did in Houston between, uh, Dwight Howard, when he left the Lakers to go to Houston, and then they were able to make trades, including with the Kings to get Kevin Martin, which then landed James Harden. Um, and so again, he just keeps saying to try and put themselves, um, by having the assets, um, when the time comes for a star to ever be available via trade that, you're you're at least able to be in the conversation um, to move it along. Sanchez, you're nodding your head. You in on this? Yeah, I think for Monty's, whatever Monty's plan is, I think it's kind of showing, especially with the signings that, with the free agent signings, that he is not really in a rush for the Kings to be, you know, a contender, at least this year, because you get all these players on one-year deals that's already showing you that they're not going to be committed to those specific players long-term. They're just depth signings. And they're trying to, I mean, obviously, I don't know what McNair's plan is, but next year's free agent class is much better looking than this year's. And specifically, some of the big names you saw become restricted, like officially restricted just yesterday, I believe it was, is like, you know, you're going to have guys like Laurie Markkinen, John Collins, Jared Allen, all available for the Lonzo Kings to go Ball, after. Lonzo Ball, baby, don't right ignore now, it. One of the biggest question marks for the King. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, embrace that's, that's, it that's Sanchez Lonzo but, ball <laughs> well I will I'm on I'm on Tim's boat that a core a triumvirate guard core of Fox Burden and ball promising especially on the defensive end hmm. but um back back to the thing like if you're the Kings one of the biggest question marks is at their big man position because looking at the long-term core of their front corp death, only Marvin Bagley is like the guy you, you know, you ideally want to be a member of the front court core moving forward. And if Marvin Bagley, a tweet I put out the other day is like, if Marvin Bagley does show out and he is that guy, whether he's the fourth or the five for the Kings going into the future, then Rory Marketing is somebody that's going to come in. If you're able to put a good offer sheet on him to prime away from Chicago, then marketing can come in and he's the guy who can shoot and space the four alongside Bagley. And he's young as well. If Bagley is not healthy and he's still kind of, you know, not really showing that he can be um, a member of the core alongside Fox going forward, then Jared Allen could be somebody that comes right in because Allen seems to be out of favor in Brooklyn over DeAndre Jordan. He's coming off the bench there. So if Jared Allen gets a good contract, good money to come and be a starter, regardless where it may be, he is still 22. He's still very young. He's a solid rim protector. So if you lose Hassan Whiteside next year, Allen comes in and there you go. There's your long-term rim protector who can also be a pick-and-roll partner for De'Aaron Fox going forward. And then if 
Bagley, if Bagley is, you know, just not working well at all in general, then John Collins is somebody that you'd ideally want Bagley to become in or develop into because Collins is like a 2010 40% three-point shooter. And if Bagley, even though like his three-point percentages aren't promising right now, they're a little disturbing. But if Bagley can, or if Bagley doesn't become the three-point shooter or a space that the Kings would ideally require him to be in order to develop his game further on the offensive end, then John Collins comes in and he brings a 40% percentage with him. And then you, you go, for it. but it looks like the inner free agent signings. There's a lot of this pan out, especially if they do land somebody like Cade Cunningham in the draft or another young wing like a BJ Boston or so. But I don't think the Kings are really in a rush to compete right now because as we saw with year, the recent seasons, like the Vladi Divac and company would sign or overpay for veterans on like the brink of their primes and careers and try to race for that eighth spot and never really get it. But for McNair, it's not really about the eighth spot. And one word I threw out on a Watching the Tape podcast previously is that I think the Kings are trying to build a stable core, something that they can you know solidify and compete with over the next couple of seasons rather than just bringing in veterans around here and Fox that hopefully, that hopefully optimizes Fox but never really quite gets there. Let's go to our beloved rookie, um, Tyrese Halliburton a guy who the entire fan base just is, seems to be c- completely enamored with Tim. I'll ask you this is, is Monty McNair potentially building. And I know Jill talked about this a lot, particularly after the draft on episodes after the draft about Monty McNair building a smart ball club. Is he potentially building a defensive minded ball club with the acquisition of Tyrese Halliburton in the draft? Yeah, I would love it. And the thing that Halliburton can do is he can be like Fox's wingman on both sides of the floor, right? Like Fox has a lot of defensive talent, but he also has a huge offensive load. So there are games in which Fox is carrying the team offensively, both ball handling, initiating, and scoring. And so he just doesn't have as much in the tank for defense, and Halliburton can take the better you know, the better offensive player on defense, and then Halliburton can swap and then be the secondary initiator and, and three-point shooter on offense. And so for me, I think they're building a smart core, hopefully, and I think they're building – Tyrese Halliburton can help change the culture in Sacramento. You know, we, we've seen so many years of the Kings having a lot of fun scoring the ball and losing games, right? That's been the last 14 years. Um, Tyrese Halliburton plays defense, like not at a, I hope he could, becomes a good defender one day level, but at a, he was going to pick the pocket of Kent Bazemore, an NBA veteran and like do it multiple times. And so for me, I think Tyrese Halliburton represents a smart player and represents a defensive minded player. Um, we need Fox to kind of step into that role a little bit more this year, as far as the defense goes and kind of really start thinking like there are possessions. He can be a, a world-class defender, but he doesn't always step into that role. Um, I think that's entirely possible. It will be really interesting to see, you know, Dante DiVincenzo is kind of along that same line as far as that smart player. Um, so, and, and Houston, right. Houston looked at three and D wings all the time. That, that was like their main target. So I, I think the Kings are building that way. And I'm just hoping they don't get lost in box score numbers because Halliburton's probably not going to have the most fantastic box box score of any of these draftees. He's going to fill up the stat sheet. Um, but yeah, I, I would love it if they would build that direction rather than what we've seen for the Kings for the past decade plus, for sure. I think Tyrese Jill is going to be the guy who gets like votes for rookie of the year. I don't think he's going to win it. Like, I think I threw out a question today that said, who finishes higher in the rookie of the year voting? Um, James Wiseman or Tyrese Halliburton. I don't think either one of them are going to win. 
I think LaMelo Ball is going to wind up winning the rookie of the year because I think he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton. I think he's going to own house of highlights for the Charlotte Hornets. I think he's going to be all over the place. He's going to be a dynamic player that gets people's attention. Charlotte won't be very good. And they're like, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. I think Tyrese could wind up being, and I, I think he, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he actually won the rookie of the year. It was Malcolm Brogdon. You look at Malcolm Brogdon's stat line and you go, oh, that's not impressive at all. But he wound up winning, winning rookie of the year. I think Tyrese Halliburton can be the guy who gets NBA people's attention and they go, man, this young man is really, really good at what he does. Yeah, I mean, and it was it was a good sign already from that uh, survey they had just put out from executives saying that, you know, they felt he was definitely the steal of the draft. Um I mean, the the only thing that'll be interesting is is ball is talked about just because I mean they have that marketing already, right? Yeah. Like everyone knows who that kid is. Um, yeah. But he's really good, though. I don't yeah. want to diminish oh, no, no, no. it. As I like, just mean, I just mean, like the Kings are not, like we had our national television games already. Like he's yeah. not going to be <laughs> unless you know him or you keep up with basketball. He's not going to be a household name because sure. he's on the Kings. Unless the Kings you know, find some, you know, magically surprise us like they did in 1819, because for all we talk about, nobody expected them to be good either. I mean, you know, at that, at that point, but the players didn't care. They came out and they thrived in that system. And as much as we can say this year, we don't think it'll happen. I mean, I won't, I won't be shocked either way. Like if, if the players, these players don't want to lose. Right. And so if, if they find a way, you know, with the, with the new coaching staff in this system and it, it's somehow on a miracle, <laughs> uh, you know, happens to mesh, um, it, it would be for, for as many people that are hoping for a lottery pick, it would be pretty Kings for them to somehow all of a sudden, like put something together that, yeah. that prevents that prevents that from happening but like obviously we said the the players are going to be going out there and um you know I I think Halliburton's really good and he kind of does I don't even know if you want to say like he to me he excels more on defense than anything Mm -hmm. um but he's I think he's got really good court vision good at a lot of a lot of little things you know rather than I would say like where it's this guy's a scorer, this, you know, excels at things. Like he seems to be good at a bunch of the things that you would like a player all around to be good at. Um, I think obviously scoring still, well, uh, it's going to rely on him having the, the aggressiveness, you know, that, that the coaches talked about and he's talked about, but there's no reason to me why he couldn't be a rookie of the year, at least based on what we've seen, where he's putting up 10, six, five, two, and one. I mean, between steals, blocks, um, points, rebounds, and assists, like he's he's pretty much filling up a stat sheet um while scoring, you know, around 10, 10 or less um off the bench. And I would take that all day, every day. Sure. I'll I'll throw a a curveball at you, Sanjus, then Tim, and then Joe, you'll wrap us up. As we're recording this. Brooklyn is absolutely annihilating Golden State. Um, two questions, uh, and I won't ask them at the same time because that's a, a terrible journalistic practice. Who do you like at the end of the season? Like, well, come, I, I would say June. I don't know that it's actually June. Come NBA Finals. 
Who do you think are the two top teams, two teams in the league? Who do you think is playing for the NBA Finals this year, Sanjas? Oh, I think the I think the safe route would be to pick the the Los Angeles Lakers and predict that they repeat, and then the Milwaukee Bucks because they are getting mm-hmm. Giannis. They just added Drew Holiday. They would have added Bogdan Bogdanovich, but we know how that played out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those two are pretty safe picks, but I also think the addition of Sergi Baca for the Clippers can help propel them into that conversation of possibly taking on and defeating the Lakers because as we saw with the Clippers and Nuggets series and the Clippers blowing that 3-1 lead, they were shre- the Clippers were shredded when Montrez Harrell, anytime he touched the floor, the Nuggets, credit to their smart coaching, they completely annihilated Harrell on defense thanks to Nikola Jokic and company. And since the Clippers swapped out Harrell, got in Ibaka, Ibaka is pretty much everything the Clippers would have loved to have at that time because if they had Ibaka in that 3-1 you know, scenario, I think they would have been able to close it out because they wouldn't have to deal with Montrezl Harrell trying to guard Jokic's incredible creativity. But I think with the Clippers, and they also got Luke Kennard, if Kennard is healthy, the Clippers have been needing that kind of third, fourth playmaker behind Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So if the Clippers, if they stay healthy, because we saw the bubble didn't really treat them so well in terms of their health, like Lou Williams, besides like his uh, off-court fiasco that he had early on, you know, Harrell came into the bubble late. Patrick Beverly really never had his health stabilized. He kept going on and off, and he's very underrated on both ends of the floor for what the Clippers need him to do. So um, they also have uh, Zubats as well. He's a very underrated center. So the Clippers is uh, the kind of the team that I'm kind of rooting for in the West to take away from the Lakers. Uh, follow-up question, Tim, before we go to you, uh, yes or no, Golden State makes the playoffs? I think based on my overreaction of what I'm seeing against the Brooklyn Nets, I only <laughs> caught, I only caught up until we started recording, but it's bad. They are, yeah, they are a team. It's bad. I think once Clay went down, I think that kind of signaled that it's kind of over for Golden State. I mean, Draymond Green last year, he put up what shooting splits of 39, 28, 75. I think you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one, eight points a game. Like, if we're relying on Draymond Green to come back and completely patch up this Warriors team, I don't see how they could be completely too high. You know, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, they're going to have to be much better rotational players than they have been in their careers. James Wiseman is going to have to take a really big boost. There's just not that much for Golden State. Like, Stephen Curry is going to really have to shoulder the load here, and I just don't know if the Warriors have enough. So I think they could be a playing team but I'm probably like mm. if this keeps up maybe a low end playoff team because they're good enough to beat bad teams like they can beat the Sacramento Kings but can they beat the gold I mean can they beat the Brooklyn Nets of the world can they beat like the Phoenix Suns those are going to be fun matchups to watch but I'm not so high on Golden State right now Tim who's in the finals Tim I'm going Lakers and I'm going to way over back tonight's game and go Nets if they can stay healthy but I'm going to I'm going to give you a caveat and say if they trade for James Harden, not the Nets. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love That's, it. You like that hot take? I, um, no, I don't. I Because yeah. I'm completely with you on that. I hate yeah. the idea of destroying this team with James Harden. I hate it. Yeah, take the, take the ball away from Kevin Durant. What are you doing? My Kevin Durant, if healthy, is a better player than James Harden. Um, so Lakers in the West, Nets, if they stay healthy, they don't trade for James Harden in the East. And I think the Lakers would pretty handily win that bat. I, I don't think the Lakers really have competition this year in yeah. the finals. If they, I mean, like two two of the top five players in the NBA, assuming that like LeBron keeps being LeBron, which it doesn't seem like he's shutting it down anytime soon. So uh, certainly things, other things could happen, but I, I just don't see, especially in the West, the Lakers losing to anyone. 
It feels like if you rank team across conferences, it's the Lakers and then there's everybody else. The question is the team that comes out of that everybody else category is can they beat the Lakers? Joe, what do you think? I mean, I, I think Brooklyn can be there if they, if they stay healthy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if Milwaukee has the depth that they had last year. I mean, I think that will be interesting to see because a lot of that depth went to the Lakers, <laughs> um, from their team. And, you know, sorry, my dog is. We're used to <laughs> it. It's the whole ball podcast. Gracie, we know, Gracie we know about Gracie. Know it's, it's all right. Time. Gracie's a part of the show. Um, no, yeah, no, I think it's, it's as long as Brooklyn's able to stay healthy, I, I do think they have a good young or youngish depth behind them uh, between Levert, Dinwiddie, Harris, uh, Prince, um, Jared Allen. I mean, they have, yeah. they have a lot of good younger pieces around them. I will see when it comes to Giannis. I mean, I never bet him out because, but, and, Hello, Miami, who who still surprises Yeah, I'm every not year. buying it. Um, uh, I don't <laughs> know. I just still can't around get into there somewhere. it. Yeah. Boston, I don't. There you go. That's the one I went with. I uh, went with the hot one. I went with um, Boston. I I think it'll be interesting to see how, if with a healthy Kemba back, I I think um, they seem to be having trouble losing Hayward and not having Kemba out there right now. And it is just preseason. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that, um, how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, that's the, the normal teams of Brooklyn, Boston, Toronto and Miami. To me, it's, it's gotta be one of those. And then whoever the Lakers take out. (laughs) Yeah. It really boils down to the Lakers. And I like Sanjay's layout of it potentially being the Clippers. I had the Clippers and the Celtics. Uh, last year, I, I had to go with the Lakers this year. It feels like they're a defending champion that got stronger. Uh, Tim Maxwell, and I love that Tim went with uh, Brooklyn as long as they don't trade for James Harden because I really thought I was alone on that. I hate the idea of this young, talented team that just added Kevin Durant that already has Kyrie Irving potentially trading for James Harden, who has never won anything and has never brought anything but a massive headache to the roster that he's on. So uh, me and Tim on the same page where things happen in 2020, Tim Maxwell, Sanjay Singh, watching the tape podcast here on the be heard podcast platform, search, be heard search, watching the tape, whatever it may be. Uh, great work, fellas. We appreciate you guys so much. Uh, we look forward to having you on a, a number of times throughout this season. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Guys. Joe Adge, Damian Barling. Again, uh, check out the rest of the podcast here on the Hoopball Podcast Network. Check out the rest of the podcast on the Be Heard Podcast platform. Just search Be Heard in Apple Podcasts. They will all pop up, including the Hoopball Podcast and including watching the tape along with J Street Vibes, Deuce and Moe, and the podcast with Damian Barling. Check all those out. We appreciate you so much for being here with us. King season underway. Uh, We'll be back with more next week here on the Sacramento Kings Podcast. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.